All of that and more in today's episode, Bringing Up Baby. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. story and title are inspired by the 1938 comedy starring legends Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant in which the couple ends up caring for a leopard named Baby. The film was far from loved when it came out, but thanks to airings on television, it has become a cherished comedy. He also likes music, particularly that song, I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Oh, that's absurd. No, it isn't, David, really, listen. This is probably the silliest thing that ever happened to me. I know it's silly, but it's true, he absolutely adores the tune. An unusual sight, we find a cab leaving the lady's residence before going inside to find Dorothy on the couch, enjoying a magazine in her array of earth tones sweater with a stylish 80s shaping and light pants. When she answers the door after the bell rings, she's surprised to find a squinting Sophia in a blue and white striped dress with a teal cardigan, asking if she's at 6151 Richmond Street, you know, her own house. Annoyed, Dorothy drags her mother inside as Sophia explains she can't see after breaking her glasses and she's been lost around town for six hours. A harrowing story indeed as she tells Dorothy she tried to call her, but every time she put a coin in, she only got a condom in return. Meaning, she was so confused sans glasses, she was in a bathroom and, without holding a receiver, still thought she was trying to make a call all while putting her dime in the 1928 invention of a condom machine. As upsetting as the story and ordeal has been, Dorothy struggles to feel anything but bothered, especially when, even when distraught, Sophia can still burn her daughter to ashes by trying to give her a lifetime supply of five condoms. Before Dorothy can Homer Simpson-style strangle Sophia, a devilishly blue dress-wearing Blanche has appeared from her room, asking which of her gold chain or pearls she should wear with said dress. Dorothy thinks they both look nice, and while Blanche doesn't disagree, she's more concerned with the availability statement her jewelry makes, more than a fashion one. Deciding the pearls would make her look like a fun, cheap, and easy time, she will definitely be going with them. In awe of Blanche's beauty, Sophia's vision impairment has either confused her greatly or she's realized she can use it to set up a zinger on anyone, like when she compliments Blanche on apparent weight loss before realizing she was actually touching Blanche's leg, not the sofa's. Instead of apologizing or ignoring her own mistake, Sophia seizes the opportunity, reminding Blanche to drink more hydrating things than gravy. Oh, boy. Is it surprising that there isn't a gravy-flavored beverage in America? I think it's a good invention. Uh, gravy shooters. <laughs> it's a great idea. Well, I don't know what booze you would put in it, though. Oh, you're talking. I'm saying, like, I'm surprised there isn't, you know, like a Fanta gravy flavor. Gravy-aid? Yes. <laughs> put a cranberry liquor in some gravy. Boom. Thanksgiving.
just a savory beverage. Lightly carbonated. Yeah. If I said that correctly, lightly lightly carbonated. Carbonated gravy flavor. (laughs) (laughs) That's my band name, too. Dorothy once again excuses her mother's rudeness, this time due to her glasses fiasco. Before Blanche can fire back at Sophia, a distraught-looking, in-face-only, Rose has arrived home. As much as I love her airplane sweater and the farm sweater, this bright blue with floral accents of coral and green on the arms and chest of this cardigan are so good. Yet, sadly, I don't think we see it all that often, but I would really like one of my own. Turning from the couch and pearl incidents to the more pressing matter, the girls ask Rose what has her upset. Oh, nothing. She's just going to be a mother again. Reminding Rose of the scientific fact that it is nearly impossible to get pregnant via a toilet seat as semen needs to be in a really specific window of temperature before dying. Like, things would have to happen right onto the toilet seat, and if you were a very fertile myrtle who happened to be ovulating and you put yourself in that position, maybe... Dorothy hopes this reminder will calm her worries. Still on her body-shaming parade, Sophia guesses Rose will be having a boy as she is carrying high and out front, meaning her larger tummy, which literally doesn't exist on her. Sorry to burst your baby bubble, Sophia, but according to WebMD, where and how you carry your baby has nothing to do with the gender. It's all about your ab muscles. Before anyone can answer any more unasked questions or make comments about her body, Rose clarifies, No, I'm getting a baby from my late uncle, not having one. The girls are shocked. At her age and with her lifestyle, a baby would change everything. Even Blanche is concerned. She would have doubts about her own abilities to mother again, and she's so much younger and prettier than them. I like how with all of the questions when this is first presented, there aren't any questions of, this seems weird, your uncle was probably older than you, so what do you mean by baby? Also, is there a mother? You're focusing on the wrong issues. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to make this episode be a Golden Girls canon episode, and this is a Golden Girls sitcom episode. Not my favorite episode we've done of this show. It felt like they wanted... The writers wanted to try and do a really campy classic sitcom thing, like maybe shooting for a Lucy at the winemaking or chocolate factory, you know? This and was not it. It was not it it's, by a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but boy, do they not uh, use any of that pig's attributes to their benefit. Minimal piggage. You see him twice? It's thrice. not doing anything? You see him thrice. I think they knocked him out and put him in Rose's bed because that looked like the pig. Oh, right. At the end. Yeah. So, yeah, we get three scenes. Oh, my God. Was that the real pig? I think so. Oh, they probably just, yeah, put some, like, uh, chloroform over it. It's a little <laughs> well, wet pigs, snout. Pigs like to lay down. Pigs like soft beds. They sure do. So. I'm talking to one. <laughs> After Dorothy takes a moment to stop herself from verbally or physically attacking Blanche, she confesses. She, too, has always wanted to be a mother again, or like a mother to another. It's not like she's not currently a mother just because her children have left her with an empty nest. Sometimes the answer can be hard to find. That's something I will. 
is elated to hear the news, but sad Dorothy doesn't have a dead uncle she can get a baby from, which is why Dorothy had to clarify, no, if you take this baby, I'm on board to help you out. With Dorothy in the mix, Blanche decides that she'll basically have two governesses there to do all the actual work with the baby, so she's willing to be a mom again, too. With everyone excited for a potential second motherhood, well, except for Sophia, who is only willing to be a grandmother again in exchange for not being sent to the home, it's decided. They're going to be bringing up baby. Oh, that's absurd. Rose doesn't have information about the baby, except for what she's learned watching the public broadcasting network, which is that the baby will probably be a boy or a girl. Or perhaps neither, because why? Gender is a construct. With the decision made, the girls head to Rose's room so she can call the lawyer, and Sophia wanders into the street, nearly getting hit with a Buick, after mistaking the front door for her bedroom door. And as Coco pointed out, the speed in which she exits the house and the car happens, it sounds like it must have been driving across the front yard. I wonder if it was the taxi that just left for revenge. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows what she was saying? She's so salty in this episode. She was probably talking all sorts of trash it, at this time. It sounds guy. like he was he was lined up right pa- right <laughs> where right where you you would see him right right where he would get you before you saw him. So I what think. we really have here is attempted homicide. Yeah, we gotta we gotta uh, get the number of that taxi. <laughs> Roll the tape back. The next morning, as Rose in her pink sweats thumbs through an old family photo album, reminiscing about her uncle's hingeblotter and ink blotter. And Dorothy, in a purple sweater with white collar, reads the newspaper at the kitchen table. A yellow robe, white nightgown wearing Sophia comes in and soon starts to disrobe. As she lifts her nightgown to pop a squat on the kitchen chair, she's violently reminded that she is not in the bathroom. But if she's not in the bathroom, then she's got an egg floating in the toilet water, which will never be warm enough to poach it. And as Coco pointed out, has us all wondering, where did she get the egg? Leaving the kitchen, the girls find Blanche in a flowy white and light pastel flower blouse with white pants, and she has bad news. She's reading the newest Dr. Spock book, and she's worried that they don't have enough males around to be a positive example. But the ladies shouldn't worry. Dr. Spock, not the one from Star Trek Rose, so don't worry about those pod babies, wasn't too focused on that. He was interested in changing parenting from the strict, sometimes emotionless parenting from the turn of the century. His 1946 book, The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, has sold over 50 million copies, while his methods of combining pediatrics, psychiatrics, and Freudian theories created a new parenting mold. It was all about love, kindness, allowing your children independence and uniqueness, and to trust the parents. He was a beloved parenting hero for years, until things got political, and the anti-Vietnam protests were blamed on the generation that was the first to come from the perceived soft parenting. Dorothy's not worried about any of that. They'll just wear ball caps, watch the game, and scratch their butts. Thanks to YouTuber Dana Gulowski for this clip of an interview with Dr. Spock from 1984. The easiest thing in the world for a doctor or for a doctor writing a book is to scare the bejeebas out of people. And the previous books on child care all were along the general lines. Look out, 
stupid. If you don't do exactly what I say, you'll kill your child or at least make your child very sick. And I was leaning a little bit backwards always to be reassuring, but there's dangers in being too reassuring. A lot of parents are too anxious with the first child, but by the time they have the third, they're remarkably casual. Uh, some of them. I, mean, I was scared. Anyway, I was very pleased that after 30 million copies have been sold and uh, used, that nobody's accused me of having killed their child. Yeah, he was shunned because he encouraged uh, the idea that children's emotions were important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like that for some reason the parenting equaled these children have independent thoughts and they don't want to be at war. Rose's Spock fusion prompts Dorothy to ask if she took a lot of acid back in the day, which would explain some of her thinking patterns. Before we get to here and then imagine Rose as a 1960s hippie burnout, there is yet another ding-dong at the door. Answering it, Rose finds her late uncle's lawyer waiting for her, and he's there with Baby. Playing Chester T. McRaney is the fantastically named Parley Bear, who had nearly 290 credits in his 51-year career, making appearances on Dragnet, Father Knows Best, I Love Lucy, The Danny Thomas Show, He Was the Mayor of Mayberry and Andy Griffith, Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, Bonanza, Adams Family, Perry Mason, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, Bewitched, Newhart, of course, La La, and my first PG-13 movie when my babysitter got in a lot of trouble for showing me License to Drive, starring the Corys. It's like a sign. A sign from the big Mr. Goodwrench in the sky. Will Les get the car home in one piece? Will his father leave Les in one piece? You are damn lucky your mother didn't go into labor. No, I, I am in labor! What? License to drive. Does it have a happy ending? I was in love with the Corys. Oh, I bet. From The Lost Boys, which was my my sister's favorite movie when we were young. So I've seen it literally hundreds of times. <laughs> to License to Drive, their, their separate projects when they went their own ways, which were all really bad. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's one that was very pivotal in my life. I think it came out in 94 with Corey Heyman. It's called Blown Away. And it's him and Nicole Eggert. And I think they're both Canadian. And it's like a, a weird Canadian erotic thriller. Oh. But they're like just out of high school. They're so young. And it's very bad. But I watched it a bunch because of the nudity. <laughs> and the Corey. Rich Curran has met the girl of his dreams. Great sex is when you love someone so much, it's like you're addicted to the strongest drug in the world. Does this look like the body of a 16-year-old? Beyond the sex. Do you know the Heimlich maneuver by any chance? Because if they keep doing that, one of them is definitely going to choke. Have you ever just wanted to kill somebody? I mean, really kill them. If they find that he was murdered, they could tie up the inheritance forever. There's a bomb in his bike. I'll be over tomorrow. Do you really want to do some serious time for this girl? No, I'm going to stay in here and burn while you walk away with all the money, okay? Oh, you think I planned it this way? 
Doesn't have to be like this, you know. Come on, Rich. We, we could still do this. We could have everything. Corey Feldman. Nicole Eggert. Corey Haim. You know, Megan, I, I thought I met this girl. I thought we had something special. You don't know anything, do you? Blown away. Were you, uh, uh, which Corey were you? Or which Corey did you prefer? You know, in in Lost Boys, I gotta go Feldman. Yeah. But most things after that, I really like Haim. Yeah. Really, really like I was him. always a Haim girl. Yeah. I feel like we we are where we are as far as conversations about that and like Hollywood and Predators and stuff. And I think he really maybe started rolling that snowball. I feel like he was the first and he was really raked over the coals for it. Yeah. And they they had an shut him career. down yeah. a lot. And it was like, we can look back now and see. And and then it's ignored because, like, oh, he's so annoying or he's so over the top or he's just like a weirdo dude. But then you go back and it's like, oh, if that had happened or if he had come out with that now, it would be so different. And that must feel really frustrating and maddening for him. When Chester announces baby is a he, the girl's idea of being a mother again is getting to be more and more real and even more exciting. Since they're related and all, Rose is curious if baby looks like her, which, given that she's in an all-pink sweatsuit, I would say mildly. You see, baby is a large farm hog. A stunned silence takes over the girls as they stare at the large, hooved beast. Dorothy finally answers Rose's question. They have similar eyes. Chester goes on. Baby has won five Best in Shows, or Blue Ribbons, in the state fair, and he was the pride of late Uncle Higginblotter. While the introductions continue, a still visually impaired Sophia comes in, delighted at the ball of flesh. She immediately goes into grandma mode, gushing over the darling. Even when Dorothy tells her it's a pig, she defends Baby, saying Dorothy shouldn't talk. She was no Gerber baby herself. Alicia. Coco. I was one of the cutest babies to ever live. <laughs> I bet that's true. Were you? I was stunning. I bet. Did you have big eyes? I had. I seriously had the biggest eyes. My family called me fish. Oh. And my mom said that. Wait. <laughs> I like that. To make the point of how cute of a baby you were, you're telling me your family called you fish. Well, it was a combination thing. It was because <laughs> of my big eyes, my my gorgeous. I don't even know how to describe them. They're just so gorgeous. My eyes. Well, and Wait. they're and they're multicolored. They sure are. Yeah. It's like a uh, an autumn afternoon. That's right. In my eyes. And what was the other reason? Because I could swim before I could walk. That's a fun fact. I guess coming out of the water, I probably look like a little merboy. <laughs> Did you have a lot of hair as a baby? No, bald is a cue ball. You, you Basically, it's what it looks like now, but I didn't have a beard. <laughs> so when I was a baby, I too had large eyes, and I had a huge mouth, and when I would pout, they would call me Edward G. Robinson, which is a real throwback for anyone that remembers movies from the 30s and 40s. I had a big old set of lips on them. Big old set of lips, and then... As I was older, so not baby, but still a little girl cute because I had like long blonde hair and rosy cheeks. We were at my grandparents' pool and this lady comes out and she starts berating my mother about how dare you put makeup on this little girl. She's just trying to swim and you have mascara on her and blush. My mom's like, 
no, she's just looks like that. She's just a rosy cheek. It baby. was very, it was weird. She's a, a weird copper tone baby, but she had some big old apple cheeks. But that moment with that lady was actually kind of scary. That was like my first Karen encounter where it was just like, my mom's getting yelled at because of me, but I don't really know what to do. <laughs> and we're just at an apartment, like a tiny apartment pool, you know? Someone just sticking their stupid, <laughs> stupid nose in it. Go so what if? Your... Yeah. So what if I put makeup on my baby? Also, it was in Las Vegas. So yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> Would have been weird if you didn't. Of course, I was wearing makeup. <laughs> God, if we had known each other as babies, those pictures. Unsurprisingly, Rose is delighted that baby is a pig. Unlike Blanche, who refuses to have a farm animal in her house. That's no problem for Chester. Baby can just go back to Rose's cousin, and they'll get the $100,000 caretaking fee. That's right. To make sure Baby is spoiled, the ladies will get a payout, but not until after Baby dies, which could be at any moment as the average hog lives, depending on the breed, 12 to 20 years. For Baby, the average is 25, and he's 29, which is why everyone is so willing to allow Baby to stay. Now, I'm no Uncle Hingenblotter, but I feel like saying you'll pay someone a lot of money, but only after the thing you love dies, might be a little bit of a dangerous setup. Sounds like that pig's bacon is cooked. Still without glasses, Sophia in her adorable bright blue with red shoulders house dress is enjoying a snack on the lanai. Finishing her bowl of chips, she sets them on the ground, luring Baby to stop by for a nibble which is when Sophia greets Dorothy. Can someone get this lady some glasses? Right on cue, it's the real Dorothy, in jeans and a stunning red top, who is not only shocking her mother with how she can throw her voice, but surprising her with much-needed eyewear. Before Sophia can put them on, she's already not interested. She wanted grandmother-appropriate gray glasses. These thick black ones have her feeling more like a weezer than a geezer. <laughs> I personally think the glasses are adorable, just like Rose's yellow dress with complimentary apron. Finally finding Baby, Rose threatens to spank his little bum if he doesn't get inside, confusing Sophia. But she's used to being talked to like that at Shady Pines, so she's off to get dinner. Dorothy isn't concerned about her mother's vision apparently affecting her thinking abilities. No, she's preoccupied with the fact that Baby was supposed to be living in a pen out back wherever that may be in this Winchester house of nightmares. But Baby didn't like the pen, so Rose has allowed him to wander free. He's a loner, a rebel. A line I can only imagine was ripped from one of my favorite films of all time, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. This also reminds Rose of singer, songwriter, and sausage maker Jimmy Dean, who started his meat crusade in 1969. Nice sausage. After finding fame with songs like this one, near and dear to mine and my dad's heart, Big John. And with all of his strength, he gave a mighty shove. Then a miner yelled out, there's a light up above. And 20 men scrambled from a would-be grave. Now there's only one left down there to save Big John. The success of his music led to the Jimmy Dean TV show, which allowed Jim Henson his first opportunity on national television. Jimmy's acting continued, even getting a role in the Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. But not everyone is a fan of his sausage. 
I don't know where you people come from. I don't know if you test your products, your quantity of your products. Your products are very delicious. Love your sausage for 30-something years, but I can't take and feed a family of five on a little 12-ounce roll of sausage. I don't mind paying you more money for your 16-ounce roll of sausage, but you don't have it anymore. You've got a 12-ounce roll, and you've got three men that weigh over 200 pounds apiece, a woman that's a little plump Scotch girl, and a daughter who's 13, and you're going to try to take a 12-ounce roll of sausage and a couple of dozen eggs and feed that, it ain't going to work, and I'm not going to purchase your product anymore or ever again. And as far as your 16-ounce and maple and sage, I don't eat that. I'm not from the north. I'm a Texas man. Jimmy Dean sausage is for southern people to eat with their breakfast, with their fried eggs and their T-bone steaks. And I can't see going to a little 12-ounce package to feed four, five, six people. And I'm not going to buy two of those 12-ounce packages just because you want to downsize and charge the same goddamn price. I'd sure like a reply, and I'd sure like you to go back to your 16-ounce package on your regular sausage, because I'm not going to buy it otherwise ever again. I'll just have my own damn sausage made like I used to 30-something years ago. It's not as tasty as yours is, but it'll work. Goodbye. That little 12-ounce roll of sausage is supposed to feed your brother and me and you 600 pounds of men at least, you get my point? And the two girls, and they put it in that roll of sausage. Son of a Somebody needs their ass kicked. Some little consumer geekeroid this up. Save money. Yeah, save money. Save money. I'm going to eat, damn it. Perhaps Jimmy Dean was just on her mind as baby looks like she could be turned into sausage. Either way, Rose is right. The confinements of a small cage are difficult for pigs as they have been shown to have the intelligence of a three-year-old human, which is why for 25 years I've said how much I want a pet pig, but then I think about being a parent to an unconventional, large-toothed, easily agitated, squealing three-year-old for 20 years, and I change my mind. But if you've got pig parenting advice, gmail us. P-I-G mail us. Oh, oink oink. Dot com. Dorothy's annoyed feelings towards baby are not only matched, but surpassed by Rose's feelings of delight. Just this morning, she awoke to baby curled up at her feet, a sweet moment that Dorothy can't deny. But she's also curious if that pig will be headed to the sausage farm anytime soon. It's not like she hates the pig, so she wants it dead, although she isn't fond of his burnt rubber-smelling burps. Oh, boy. Here's Blanche, and she's on Dorothy's side, frustration, when it comes to baby, especially since he destroyed her nightgown. Still unaware there's an actual pig in the house, Sophia implies that the foreign men Blanche dates would be so inclined to be violent, at least towards her clothing. You can't say that. But Blanche, in a red and pink floral pattern dress with a dropped waist, is fed up. The pig is gross, smelly, and perverted watching her shower. But what taste level could a pig have, Sophia spouts. Hearing everything the girls are bitching about, Rose doesn't want Baby to be a burden for everyone. So she'll just pass him and the hundred grand onto a cousin. Remembering the pig is old and comes with a big payday, Blanche can get over her losses and let him stay even if he does keep watching her in the shower. 
just just guide him out of the bathroom with a sandwich. Or lock the door? Well, I mean, I hope the pig can't get in, even if it's, if it's unlocked. But it's ma- then it sounds like she just goes into her bedroom and leaves her bedroom door open and then leaves her bathroom door open and then gets in the shower. Or. Well, we don't know what she's saying. She's seen the pigs there. Do we have a raptor situation and the pig has learned how to open doors? My God. An overjoyed Rose leaves the lanai to tell baby he can stay. Shouting as she exits, she tells the girls she won't be home to feed him at lunchtime tomorrow. For similar reasons that are never spoken, neither can Blanche or Dorothy. Looking to Sophia, she refuses at first, disgusted they would live with a farm animal just for some cash. Weirdly, they hadn't made a deal with Sophia for a part of the money, so cutting her in on it, she's suddenly ready to be a chef for a pig but she might not have to worry about showing off her culinary abilities. Before they can plan his meal, Rose frantically returns, shouting that baby has collapsed. This pleases Sophia, as she appears to be on the same pay scale as Johnny Carson, who earned a whopping $25 million a year hosting The Tonight Show. He earned about $2,500 per minute of airtime. We had a good week last week. Now, Johnny, as I recall, in the old days, he used to come with the brown bag and the, and the lunch. Yeah, I'm eating out a lot now. <laughs> I don't, don't have anybody to make those little lunches. I see. <laughs> have a little hot plate and a canister, and oh, you know, and I whip up something. Yeah. Sitting around the kitchen table, Blanche in her taupe and blue silk robe, Dorothy in her purple and white pajamas, Sophia in her pink bathrobe, the ladies are trying to console Rose. Pacing around the kitchen, she's devastated. Baby appears to be sick. As usual, Blanche's advice is taken wrong when she looks towards Sophia while comforting Rose, reminding her, This is all just a part of life. Wanting to do something to help baby, Rose has decided to get a thermometer. She's not exactly sure how that will help, as she doesn't know the average temperature for a pig is around 102 degrees, and seeing as they are unable to sweat, they do things like roll in the mud and play in water. The only temp Sophia knows is 325 for a nicely cooked ham. This earns a death stare from Rose. With Rose out of the room, the ladies can get real. What are they going to spend their windfall on? Dorothy tries to play respectable like it hasn't been on her mind, but Sophia points out she has found brochures for the now scandalously defunct financial company E.F. Hutton in her purse. It's not like Sophia was snooping. She was just stealing 20 bucks. Blanche isn't worried about investing or saving her money. This was unexpected and fun. This money is the kind that is supposed to be blown. Blanche's horniness for spending has Dorothy realizing that even her money lives a more boring life than Blanche's. The day has changed, and so has the girls' minds about the money. Coming in the front door, Sophia in a teal dress and gray cardigan, Dorothy in a purple blouse with a white Renaissance-inspired collar with a yellow floral skirt, and Blanche in some fabulously mixed patterns of a light pink and white blazer over a white and tiny blue flowers jumpsuit, the girls have their arms full with shopping bags. Unable to wait until the check was in, the ladies went on a shopping spree in celebration of their dying roommate. Even when Dorothy tries to be reasonable for a moment, shocked at her own outrageous choice to spend, Sophia points out that when she looked at Baby earlier in the day, he was moments away from becoming the no-longer-made, lower-fat bacon alternative, Sizzling. My husband just doesn't bring home the bacon anymore. Now I bring home the Sizzling. Don't bring home the bacon. Think Think lean. lean. Bring home the Sizzling.
Sizzleen is a great tasting breakfast strip from Swift. That's 50% leaner than bacon. That's why it doesn't shrink away like bacon. And you can taste the difference. More lean, real meat. So don't bring home the bacon. Think lean. Bring home the Sizzleen. When Rose appears in the hallway wearing a full-on Easter yellow with sporadic flowers sweater and is with a man, Blanche can only assume she was getting some afternoon delight. But that wasn't the case. This is the vet. Hopefully he didn't ask Rose to get naked. In his 11-year acting career, veterinarian Tom McGreary was in such classics as Naked Gun Two and a Half, Airplane 2, Falcon Crest, Dynasty, Dallas, Hill Street Blues, Soap, Fame, Remington Steel, and Don't You Know It. La la. Hoping to hear good via bad news, Dorothy inquires as to baby's well-being. Even though she has her glasses, Sophia is still confused about, well, everything this episode. So she thinks Dorothy's asking about Jean-Claude Duvalier, the former president of Haiti. Why would she think that? Because the brutal leader, who was exiled in 1986, also went by Baby Doc. Getting the actual results from the doctor, it turns out Baby isn't doing well, but he's not sick. Well, not physically. He's homesick. A hog like that isn't meant to live in a house in Miami. He misses his farm back home. It's not like he has the same mental issues four women deciding to live with a pig for money may have. He's just bummed out. The girls are in a real pickle now. They want the money. They, well, okay, Rose cares for baby. But to let him live out whatever life he has left in the most peaceful way, he should be sent back. Rose is, of course, alone in that sentiment. Sophia doesn't see a reason to believe the vet. What does he know besides how to take a temperature in a butt? Okay, that and the eight years of schooling that was required, Sophia. Rose isn't convinced. Her doctor and gut are telling her to send baby home. Making a good point, but for bad reasons, Dorothy is like, the pig is sick. Traveling all that way again could kill him. He should remain where he is comfortable and loved. Not realizing her friends don't actually care for baby, Rose is convinced they're right and baby should stay. As she walks away, the choices the girls are making hits them, only for the briefest of moments. They feel awful. They should probably go shopping to feel better. It's a new day, and whatever time it is and whatever is going on, well, we aren't privy to it. Dorothy, wearing her best 1989 best man outfit of a muted green button-up shirt with one of those high, rounded collars, and the tiniest vest with the lightest whisper of an autumnal pattern, is sitting at the table. When Blanche, wearing what appears to be an upside-down vagina costume, urgently comes in the back door. Piecing together clues from their conversation, it appears Dorothy has been in the midst of an anxiety attack of sorts and has called Blanche, who was at work, asking her to come home. The anxiety is about the money and how foolish they've been with their out-of-control spending. Blanche takes this to mean that Dorothy is on board with what she was up to, taking Sophia out to buy a new blue Mercedes. It's the family car as she counted on all of their remaining shares to buy it. Also, how did Dorothy get a hold of Blanche if we're thinking maybe she's at work or something and she called her to come home, but she was at a car dealership and we didn't have cell phones? How did this all happen? Oh. <laughs> the problem is, that is not what Dorothy was thinking. Her conscience had gotten to her, and she didn't want anything to do with the money anymore. She wanted to get rid of baby get rid of the money, and be rid of the entire situation. But with a brand new $50,000 car being honked in the driveway, Blanche can't have Dorothy backing out of the deal she didn't make. 
but Dorothy feels like it's become a deal with the devil, killing an animal for their own financial gain. Fine. Blanche can see Dorothy's playing hardball, so she'll match her. Dorothy can choose between one of her three sons, Biff, Doug, or Skippy. Her daughter Rebecca isn't on the table, and now that she thinks about it, Skippy has an asthma issue, so it's really just between Biff or Doug. This seems totally reasonable to her, as this all started with wanting to be a mother again, and Blanche has four kids, but only one Mercedes. This kind of sounds like my own mother. My parents never had money, like ever, until the last couple years. My dad, who worked his life away to keep the lights on and food on the table, finally found a great job that he excels at, giving them the much-deserved and very hard-earned money they've been working for the last 45 years they've been together. In doing so, they decided they weren't going to get a fancy new house or a new crazy car, but they got a used Mercedes convertible. They have both fallen completely in love with it, their first real trophy for all of their work, and they're obsessed. I'm pretty sure if they had to pick between my brother and I or the car, there would, at the very least, be an awkward pause. Wanting out, Dorothy finds Rose in her room looking through a photo album while sitting next to the sickly pig in her bed. Now, I can't tell 100%, but that does appear to be the actual pig in the bed. Oh, sure, you can make that happen, but you can't do better than a Duraflame log for a baby? After being shown precious baby photos of baby peeing and eating, Dorothy needs to confess. She only said baby should stay at the house to get the money. Blanche, for one, can't believe she would be so shallow. Rose is, too. Wanting to cover her own behind for when Rose finds out Blanche's intentions, she reminds them that even if it was for a bad reason, they did the right thing by keeping baby there. He's old. He's sick. He's not homesick. Except that when Blanche holds the photo album in his view, he squeals out of grief and desire. It's official. The pig is homesick. It's also official that Blanche is a bad person for killing a pig for her own needs. I guess she doesn't eat hot dogs? Becoming nearly frantic, Blanche begs for baby's forgiveness before being pulled back by Dorothy. As the two turn to Rose to beg for forgiveness, she gets up and starts to leave. With just a little bit of begging, Rose can forgive, but she's not sure if baby can. What might help, though, would be a kiss on the nose. Uninterested in kissing the pig, the gals each plant one on Rose's nose, rendering her powers of pout useless. Finally getting inside after being abandoned in the new car, Sophia comes in, learning the pig is going home. No, not like heaven, Rainbow Bridge bought the farm home, but the actual farm home. Sitting on the bed in shock, Sophia learns that even though they've spent time living with and accommodating a large pig, have spent a lot of money on things they can't afford and have a new car to pay for, they are giving all of it up because baby's homesick, which really bites. Time has passed and Sophia, in her black and pink flower dress and navy cardigan, is sitting at the kitchen table. She finally got her old lady-looking glasses, and while she was at it, she picked up some sunglasses for panhandling now that they were all poor. Is Sophia using those glasses to panhandle technically a bum goof? <sighs> she's goofing that she's the bum. And obviously bum is being used That's as their Sophia. term. We yeah, that's a that Sophia term. term. No, that's not... it's to be silly. Yeah, I think she's bum goofing. 
Dorothy in her 80s shade of teal shirt that is so oversized it could be used to make four other shirts is fed up with her mother's behavior. She isn't going to be begging for cash on the street corner just because the whole baby thing didn't work out. They have each other, their health, and their home. They can't complain. Blanche, in a periwinkle sweater, has a seat just as Ellen. It was exhausting, and I'm not sure that I could do it more than once. In a coral dress, oh, I'm sorry, that's Rose, comes in with news from the cousin that took in baby. Even though she just gave the pep talk of gratitude and moving on, Dorothy screams out of desperation that she hopes they cashed the check and sent it to them. She can't tolerate this lifestyle of unwealth any longer. After her outburst and comfort from Blanche, Rose gets to the letter. Baby had arrived safely and was much happier to be on the farm. He then croaked after 36 hours. Rose's sad baby is gone. Blanche and Dorothy can't believe they were right, and Sophia is disappointed she had to go on and survive that stroke, only to have life treat her so unkindly. There's no telling if the travel killed baby or his age, but either way, if they had just held on, maybe they would have gotten that money. Adding salt to the wound, the horn of the tow truck outside blows, signaling the repossession of the Mercedes. With everyone bummed out, there's only one thing to do. Go hop in the car and ride along as it gets towed back to the dealership, making the neighbors jealous. Hey, Alicia. Hi, Coco. Was it the actual Golden Girls in the vehicle? Because I couldn't see inside. I don't know if you could see All inside I the vehicle. All I could see was one person in the driver's seat, I think, and it does not appear to be okay. any of them. Yeah, they don't actually show them. Um, I wonder in if that people jarring were like, scene. if they were dressed like that and maybe that because that person is looking in that car like they're seeing someone. Yeah. Or I'd, something baffling. And oh, it makes me I... wonder if they told them. They're the golden girls. Or like did Stunt someone doubles. did someone tell you to look in that car? Or did they just film as they drove down the street? Yeah, to it looked see like people's a random. Reactions? It looked that way. Yeah. Yeah. And very 80s. To it was just, so like, weird. Leave the house. So weird to exit and be just, yeah, a remote camera mounted to a, a car. No. With just their voiceover. Yeah. It was just, it, yeah, it was a real weird breaking of that format. And I yeah, generally, and in this case, I do not like it. I feel like that scene kind of encompasses the whole episode. It seemed like it's they were... just kind of off. It has moments like uh, her buddy Holly glasses are referenced a lot as a joke and just kind of generalized things. And it's not really a hated episode. But yeah, it's just just like baby. It's just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. They could have done so much more with Sophia. It didn't have to be that she was like cranky and dumb. It could have been that it crawled into bed with her like Dorothy usually did. And she thinks it's Sal or, you know, just a lot of missed opportunities. I mean, honestly, that could have happened over the course of four nights where the, yes. the pig ends up in other people's rooms or something. That like would have that. been hilarious. Like Blanche yeah. could have been like, oh, baby, yeah. you know, like thinking it's a man. And then Dorothy thinks it's Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rose. And Rose is happy. It's a she's pig. delighted. It's, she's having a sleepover with, with baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just felt like the, and, and kind of the heart wasn't there. It's kind of a cruel episode. Yeah. Sophia is really mean. Like, even her cracks are just, like, extra harsh. Some of them are great. The condom one is hilarious. Oh, classic. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. But, you know, the weight stuff and the, the, or the oh boy of the men with Blanche, like, super mean. And then they're mean to Rose. And they're mean to this animal. And it's all about money, which they... Well, it kind of goes with the um, when they were the caterers for the wedding. 
Oh, true. And, and they, they tried to get her to get married still, even though the guy was a jerk because of their chickens. So it's like, ooh, are they like really terrible people when it comes to money? Maybe. Ah. And animals. Yeah. Maybe that's the. Combo. Oh yeah, and they they were gonna do the minks. Yeah. <gasps> Oof. Oh boy. When it comes to a windfall of money, it's easy to lose yourself in the excitement of what could be. But what today's very campy sitcom episode teaches us is that you shouldn't spend money until you have it, and you should be aware of where the money is coming from. And don't adopt pigs, because they're, <laughs> they're not, they're forever pets. No, that's a good point, though, and we should touch on that. As someone who has looked at pigs many times for ownership... There is no such thing as a teacup pig. There's no such thing as like a micro anything. It is a pig. And I would say as a non-expert, the average of those types of pigs that you think you're getting can hover like up to like 80 to 100 pounds. So you're talking about a pretty heartily sized dog. So if you're ever in the market for something like that, it is still a farm animal. And number one, you might need to check with your city ordinances of what's allowed. And number two, don't think you're getting a thing that's going to sit in a teacup for the next 20 years because that is not the case. Also, make sure you know what you're actually getting. Like Esther the Wonder Pig, who's on Instagram and Facebook, it's like the most famous pig in the world. She was purchased thinking it was uh, the parents purchased her thinking it was a little teacup pig. And she is a farm hog, like a slaughter hog, like 500 pounds. And it totally uprooted their life. But in the best way, they became vegan. They're animal activists. They moved and they have a sanctuary now. So it was all for the best. But a lot of people end up getting pigs as pets. And then they are huge and they have to rehome them. And then you lose a pig that you loved or you have a pig that's way too large to take care of. So do your research. Thank you. We'll be right back. <laughs> Unlike Jeff Bezos, the girls realized the error of their ways and didn't want to try to enjoy their life at the cost of another's misery. So remember, if your uncle ever bequeaths you a farm animal, love and care for it. You'll feel a lot better about buying that Mercedes if it died happy. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we cringe at the upsetting and oh boy laden, The Housekeeper. I hope so internationally. I feel like gravy is much bigger elsewhere. Yeah, but we're so gross. Yeah, we are. <laughs> gravy on a hot dog. Never tried that. <gasps> yum, yum. Oh, great. Hot dog talk. <laughs> Dorothy tries to calm. Hello, I'm Dr. <laughs> you gotta be nice to the babies. If they have mental health problems, you should probably get some help for them. Don't mm -hmm. do the stuff that you didn't do. <laughs> do the stuff you haven't done yet. Do all the stuff you wish your parents had done. Thank you, young lady. What is your name? <laughs> Crazy world, man. <laughs> Two guys named Spock running around. <laughs> nanu, nanu. I'm like, right? <laughs> I mean, Michael Jackson dancing to the... Michael Jackson impersonating. To the continued wearing of that hat. Yes.
How tall is Corey Feldman? 5'3". Oh, close. 5'5". Five, five. Mm, that means 5'3". <laughs> I'm looking at you, Hollywood. I know what you do. <laughs> He's short. <laughs> oh, did I not say that? Oh, well, little dum-dum. Hoofed. You said hoofed. 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 Like huffed. Almost like huffed. Hoofed. 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 Hey, Alicia. Coco. What the f*** was I just going to talk You're about? You're going to ask if you were a cute baby. Oh, yeah. He has a hat and like a long mouth. Hmm. The Grinch? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. Now I need a second. You got to get that bottle service. <laughs> Mama, baba. No way, baby. Those days at that pool, it was cream soda time. Before Sophia can put them on, she's not interested. She... <coughs> Are you okay? Dry. <laughs> I screamed dry. You coughed and then you went dry. Well, I wasn't myself. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's not enough sausage. It's an injustice. It is. He wants to see it right and he knows you can't do that by being volatile. Thought so. I knew you weren't talking to me like that. Sure, you can make that happen, but can't do better. Ugh. Babies love sleeping. They're known for it. Dorothy needs to confess. Uh, baby? Oh, baby. I'm sorry. 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 Uh, yeah, I worked in hot dog. By the end, this is just a full-on hot dog podcast. <laughs> All of them? Hey, guys. Welcome back to Hot Dog Talk. Today, we're talking about hot dogs. Finally coming back inside after having been, wow, having been. having been. You want some bum goof soup? Oh, ooh. Yeah. Ah. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be 